Hello everyone and welcome to Uncomplicated, a podcast for education professionals, MAT leaders, school staff, teachers and frankly anyone who's interested in what's going on in the world of education. Uh, My name is Tom Kershaw, I'm a Senior Education Market Specialist at Iris Software Group and today I'm joined by Lord Jim Knight who has an illustrious list of accolades um, which is going to put me to shame Um, but they include being a former Cabinet Minister in the Labour Government, member of the Privy Council and House of Lords and the current Chair of the Trust Board of EACT among many other things. The reason I've asked um, Jim here today is that we'd like to talk about the government's vision for all schools to be part of a strong trust by 2030. In essence, is there the desire or even the capacity to meet the government's target? Is it the right direction of travel? Is this a question we should be asking? Or should we just be discussing how it should best work and get on with it? You know, these are some of the things I'm hoping to discuss today. So start on, I suppose, more of an operational side, Jim. Um, Do you think there's capacity in the system to meet the 2030 date? I mean, at the moment, we're looking at well over a thousand academisations a year that would need to take place in order to deliver that that target, if it is a target. I think that is the right question, Tom. Uh, yeah, I, I'm generally of the view that we've probably crossed the tipping point uh, around academisation and that it would be more harmful to try to go back towards local accountability through local authorities uh, and better to move forwards with every school belonging to a multi-academy trust and then thinking about what the role of local authorities and the role of um, a mat should be in that context but in order to think that through and then think through a timetable you have to think through the capacity constraints and that goes to questions like what is a strong trust Uh, which is the phrase that is used in the white paper. If a strong trust, and I would assume this is just the base of what a strong trust would be, if it is one that is well-led and with strong governance, uh, then that alone gives you some interesting capacity issues. Let's say a strong trust has an average size of 20 schools, well, if we've got 25,000 maintained schools in England, you sort of do the maths and you go, ah, oh, yeah, hmm, 1,250 mats. So have we got 1,250 really good leaders of those mats in the system or coming through the system sufficiently quickly to get us there by 2030 have we got 1250 people like me who are willing for nothing to take on responsibility in chairing the boards of those trusts you know eact is 28 schools a little bit more than that average of 20. It, uh, it, it's, I'm responsible as, as chair of the board for £140 million worth of public money being spent every year, um, a little bit more if, I, if we add in the capital spend. Um, now, that's, that's a big responsibility, and you've got to put quite a lot of time and a lot of commitment in. Have we got those people who are both capable and willing to do that on, on the current basis? Um, I'm genuinely not persuaded we are ready for all of that. So we've got a lot of work to do to build just that human capacity in the system. And that's before you then think about 
yes and then what is the relationship to local democracy what's the relationship with local authorities um, who's doing the admissions arrangements what are the implications of the SEND green paper being enacted in terms of closer working relationship with local authorities etc etc there's a, a, and, and all of that in turn presents capacity issues because you you know and I think we'll probably will want to talk about this Tom but you ultimately have to ask the question what is the value that the mat is adding to the school mm. over the status quo uh, if, if we're going to ask these schools to want to come into mats and so th that's your your other bit of capacity question is what's the mat for how is it adding value have we got the capacity to do that yeah i think that's really interesting jim i mean do, do you think then that that possibly places limitations on the formation of new multi-academy trusts at the moment? So I know there's there's concerns in the sector that it's very difficult to set up a, a new multi-academy trust from fresh because you can't realise those economies of scale quickly enough in order to you know stay solvent. Um, in terms of the leadership capacity then, is it is it probably more sensible to, to develop the existing mat structure rather than be forming new mats? I certainly think it makes sense to try and rationalise, optimise the current uh, landscape of multi-academy trusts before we push to form a whole load of new ones. I think there's some learning that we've had from the 10 years plus to date of the mat world uh, yeah, by and large most of the leaders of multi-academy trusts have been head teachers so mm -hmm. yes there is a route through of people growing their leadership quality and capability um, from running a school to uh, leading a mat but there's also plenty of examples where that hasn't worked out and the the scenario that I would be most nervous about is yeah, two or three schools going, well, we don't really fancy joining any of the mats because we're going to lose control. Why don't we form a little one of our own and then we can get some of the benefits. And actually, you are retiring and you're two or three years off retirement. So that means that we don't have a leadership sort of hustle, hassle and, and, and you know, and we can merge our governing bodies and we kind of get there sort of on the cheap. That might work for some of the egos and the personalities involved, but the experience has been that too often that ends up either with a financial notice to improve because the money doesn't work, or it ends up with the schools actually not improving and falling backwards, or even worse, a combination of the two. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think we'll pick up on the uh, the human aspect and the, the well, yeah, maybe ego aspect <laughs> later on. Um, do, do you think, so putting capacity aside, do you think there's the desire um, for full academisation in the, in, in the sector? I mean, I think, you know, ultimately we'll, we'll steer the conversation towards, as you said, we're, we're past the tipping point. But you, do you think everyone's on board with this? No, frankly. Um, I think most see it and are kind of resigned to it would be it's very positive it. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> but uh, you still have yeah look put yourself in the shoes of 
a head teacher of a of a maintained school or a federation school or a faith school they've got big immediate pressures right now they've got to make the books balance they've got to find some teachers out somewhere um if if someone leaves hang on to what they've got um they've got Ofsted breathing down their neck um mm. they've got a lot of day-to-day pressures the energy bills are only going up and they've got to fund that and the pay pressures is there going to be a strike you know the the, the list of things to worry about on a day-to-day basis right now are, are substantial and if you're just about managing with all of that going on why would you risk a huge change in the leadership and the governance of your school you'd probably want to go well look if i don't have to do it today if i don't have to do it this year if i don't have to do it next year then frankly i'll put that one on the back burner until some of these issues go away and i get a bit of a sense of stability and so i I totally understand that and you know if you look at those schools that are not yet in mats as an example, there's a substantial number that are small schools, rural schools. There's a, a substantial number that are faith schools, and, and you know, probably most of those are both of those things. Yeah. And becoming a a faith school within a mat that's not a wholly faith-based mat is doable, but it's complicated. There's a perception out there that running small schools is financially challenging so they're not quite as attractive to mats because there's more financial risk attached you know to an extent the the low-hanging fruit has all been harvested and we're now mm-hmm. as we're thinking about the next wave of schools to come in we've got to get the stepladder out and reach a bit a bit taller and and, and work a bit harder to make it work sure um, and I, you know, recent conferences, I've spoken to a few leaders of single academy trusts and, you know, they make the point, well, look, we're very successful. Um, and if we're very successful, can we not continue to be very successful? I mean, what, what would you say to, to leaders of, um, of SATs that are, you know, doing, doing very well um, and don't want to join in that? I think it's really valid. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't happen to be a huge fan of Catherine Burble seeing, um, I recognise that she provides consistent leadership of a strong school in Michaela on its own terms. Mm-hmm. It's a single academy trust. It happens to be the sort of poster child school for Nick Gibb, the schools minister. And yet, government policy over there <laughs> says that Michaela by 2030 should be in a multi academy trust. Now, yeah. There's probably someone dusting off some rhetoric somewhere saying, well, <laughs> um, Catherine Burble Singh and Michaela are so great, surely it would be better for them to uh, influence a larger number of schools by, uh, by being in a, in a mat. But I think there is a, there's a perfectly coherent argument, argument and you know, School 21 is now inside a, a mat big education. But that was another you know, strongly led clear ethos a completely different school to Michaela that was a sad mm. um, and the vibe from Peter Hyman and, and latterly Liz Robinson running though that school has been actually when our ambitions are not a large number of schools our ambitions are to be 
influences influences of the system because of our innovation and people coming and understanding the way we run things and the innovation that we pursue and i i would like to think that there would still be a place for the sat performing that function i am not incidentally a fan of continuing with free schools because i think they disrupt good pupil place planning um and uh, they can you know while you're waiting for a free school to be built the local school that it's designed to disrupt has actually sorted itself out and then you disrupt the improvement that's already happened um it's too random it's too market forces frankly but to have the ability of a sat to come along and uh and be this sort of beacon of innovation and showing how to do things differently but really focusing on that rather than on numbers I think is interesting and you'd like to think that there's still room for that. So that's the innovation aspect is, is, is really interesting and I was going to leave this question um, to the end but I think it sort of naturally comes out now. This idea that you know, Matt's charting their own course, reinventing the wheel many many times, doing things in slightly different ways is that the most efficient way for the system? Is there not a better way? Or does that allow for innovation that ultimately others can learn from and, and, and everyone gains in the long term? I was, I was talking to someone last week who's um, got good experience in working in secondary schools and mats and in the system, but who's now moved into a policy role. And he said the the way he would characterize mats is you kind of got two types of them one are just fixated on getting everyone through their ofsted and getting good or outstanding and it's a machine a centralized machine driving that through <laughs> or there's another sort that is um a sort of got over the ofsted issue and they employ a few subject specialists around the priority subjects and they're kind of driving centrally um, a much more almost standardized approach to how you teach those subjects how you collect the data how you sort of fine-tune it um, and what this individual was saying to me is there's no innovation and there's no incentive to innovation within the mat system and he was asking me whether I could go away and think about that, which you know I'm I'm happy to go away and think a bit more about. Um, think about the role of Ofsted and inspection. There's a debate now about whether or not mats should be inspected, uh, as well as or instead of schools. I, mm. I hate the idea of yet more inspection. <laughs> um, um, but uh, yeah, does inspection stifle or or nurture innovation at the moment? I think it it tends to stifle innovation. The accountability system as a whole does that. Um, and we've got to work out how you make it easier for school leaders to take managed risk, to identify risk and to work out where they're going to take a risk that's not going to be at the, at the expense of children. Uh, they've got to persuade their governance that this is a risk that is worth taking, that the prize is there. Um, because ultimately you also look at childhood in this country and to be fair childhood in many parts of the world especially with the light that's been shone on it by covid and you'd say 
we've got a lot of children who who aren't having a great experience uh, they're not being brilliantly prepared for a working life that takes them through almost to the end of the century is what we're preparing these young people for during which time mm -hmm. we will have to yep. move to a sustainable um, economy that's not dependent on on fossil fuels and exploitation of, of humans at the scale that we do at the moment we've got a we're going to have machines doing most of the work. yeah it's a very different world that we're preparing people for and there's not much yeah and we've got a mental health crisis amongst children uh, right now that we've got to address and yet the risk appetite amongst school leaders you know the leading the the universal service for children is diminished because we've got an accountability system and a whole system that is saying there's a particular way of doing this and you're going to do it yeah yeah no absolutely um, and i think one more before we sort of talk about just getting on with it um <laughs> this this notion of the, of the mat dividend and the idea that academization and grouping together improves standards what i mean firstly is, is there evidence for that because it, it seems a very difficult comparison to make um you know sort of uh, academies versus local authority um, schools and why would a trust-based system be better than a local authority model because i mean some have sort of naively said well isn't one just replacing the other and essentially they look they look the same my view is that the case for academisation has always been about improving governance. Uh, good governance supports uh, strong leadership and challenges strong leadership. And, you know, we know, wherever you look in the world, the basis of really good schooling is great teachers supported and challenged by great leaders but they in turn need support and challenge uh, and when i was responsible for academies back in the labor government uh, when we didn't have quite so many of them we were essentially taking schools away from local authorities who had failed over mm. many years to provide that support and challenge at a governance level and we brought in individuals who are putting their personal reputation on the line, as as I am doing in choosing to chair EACT. You know, I yeah. feel I've got a reputation in education and I'm choosing to put that at risk by associating myself with this chain of schools to try and make sure that they're all performing really well and they're all uh, well-led. Now, I don't think Michael Gove really understood that when he essentially pushed this whole scale conversion without really getting any change in in the governance um you know in in local authority schools too often the local authority appointed governors are there by virtue of political pat patronage and uh, and not on the virtue on, on the basis of uh, skills and competence Some, lots of perfectly skilled and competent people doing that job uh, as local authority nominees but it wasn't necessarily the motivation as to why they were appointed um, whereas I think in multi-academy trusts when we're appointing governors especially these days now that we've got the other side of that wave of um, dodgy mats that got into financial difficulty and yeah, there were there were a few uh, horror stories around um, 
interested party transactions and so on. Um, but now I think there's quite a lot of scrutiny about making sure that trusts go through a proper process in appointing strong, skilled, diverse range of people who can bring really good governance to the system. Uh, and and that is a real strength. Um, the other issue now is not through any fault of their own, but local authorities, you know, the amount of funding coming into local authorities is pitiful. And as more schools have academized, they don't have as many schools to support. And so they just can't afford to run strong school improvement services. Um, and w most multi-academy trusts, however, are managing to top slice, and slice enough out of the General Academies grant to be able to fund a sure. reasonable infrastructure of school improvement. Um, and, and those end up being the two main reasons why a mat looks like a good solution to a school that is worried about how it's going to continue its improvement going forward. Okay, so let's talk about getting on with it then. One thing on the horizon though, what if, what if we get a new Labour government? I mean, we've heard a few thoughts from... Um, what do you mean if? Blankets report. <laughs> 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 what, what what do you think their commitment is to to academisation and, and and driving this driving this through that twenty thirty deadline? Well, not deadline, sorry. Um, target in, in inverted commas, should we say? Yeah, well, it, it, it's not one hundred percent clear, but my sense is, uh, and you know, actually, it's a sense talking to people working at senior levels in teacher unions and, and, and sort of around and about the system is is the general analysis is that we're past the tipping point and, and that therefore we should get on with it um, but define and redefine the system a little um, what uh, Bridget who is the Shadow Secretary of State for Education uh, has been really focused on and I think rightly so is childhood and early years and trying to make the experience of childhood and the, and the services for children including schooling um, perform better for children especially disadvantaged children she said less about this you know this issue because you know if we're honest it, it's not a make or break issue uh, around children's lives this is about how the the system is controlled, how accountability works, how funding works, and it's a, it's sort of quite a boring structures and infrastructure issue for 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 politicians trying to talk to the public and get elected. Uh, it's fundamentally important for people involved in schools, but there we are. Um, this is a wrong, a long rambling answer to say I think they will now start to. Be clear about what they think the role of local authorities should be in schooling, uh, which would be not to deliver schooling, but to hold schools to account, mm -hmm. um, particularly for disadvantaged and SEND children. Um, what the role is of a mat? I would like them say, for for example, I would like them to say that local authorities should become the admissions authority. Uh, and that actually local authorities would have a role in the 
exclusion of the permanent exclusion of pupils from from academy schools so that in the end there is local accountability around which uh, which schools children go to um, so that schools aren't choosing children yeah okay. parents and children are choosing schools and we've got to get that the right way around yeah no i think that's a fair point um so maybe returning to what we talked about earlier some of the issues with um mm. um academization and maybe you know converting primary schools encouraging them to to join mats and the human aspect involved there what are, what are the concerns for, for schools that are not currently academies if they were to academise and step into a mat? And how, how would we convince them um, that that's the right choice for them? I think for, for teachers, their concerns would be, well, am I going to... Is my professionalism going to be undermined? Um, do they recognise trade unions? Um... Yeah, am I going to lose out? But by and large, they'll be a, they'll be pretty pragmatic about it, and and would reflect that the chances are, what happens in the classroom, isn't going to change an awful lot. Um, but they might get a bit more support potentially, uh, particularly if the school is struggling. At a leadership level, the school leaders would say, mm, "What's my role going to be? Will I still have a job?" Um, will I in the end just be a cog in a machine mm. and will I have some kind of regional army uh, of mat people coming down on me and telling me what to do and uh, will I lose control over my school and at a governor level they'll be going well I'm definitely going to lose <laughs> a bunch of responsibility um, some of that I might be happy to lose. I might be happy to lose responsibility for health and safety and the fabric of the school buildings and some of that other stuff. Um, and, you know, it's pretty burdensome being a school governor. Uh, but uh, will I still be able to influence what's happening in this school if, I'm, if I become an ambassador, as we call them, in EACT? Um, will I still have some influence over teaching and learning um, Will I still have some influence over who the head teacher is, who some of the senior appointments are? Um, and those are questions for negotiation with a mat as they choose to join them. Yeah, no, I, I think from my own experience of, of working in local authority schools and, um, and, and a, an academy and a multi-academy trust, I think you're right. From the teacher's perspective, there's not too much change. Um, and yep. indeed, there may be more support. There may be professional development opportunities that, that arise as a as a result of being part of the mat. But yes, there's the there's the senior leadership aspect, and perhaps maybe issues there with, as, as you say, you know, operationally, what 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 do they control in their own schools versus, you know, what is managed at the, the central mat level. But yeah, the governors in particular. I mean. Do you see local governing bodies as, as something that, that will be maintained going forward? Or, or do you think really the sort of the, uh, the governance belongs at, at, at the trust level and there's not necessarily the place for those local governing bodies? I think this would be something where the tide will ebb and flow. 
and uh, yeah, the, the journey that EACT has been on, for example, is that we had local governing bodies and then we got rid of them, partly because, uh, this is before my time, but because we had the senior leaders of uh, the multi-academy trust spending a lot of time travelling the country going to governing body meetings. Um, right. But uh, uh, also, yeah, we had fun- fundamentally we had some problems um, as a as a mat around the education standards and the finances, and so a, a previous CEO chose to uh, get rid of local governing bodies and centralise it a lot more, um, and you know have a a whole team of operational staff replacing the school business managers, a uh, team of edu- uh, regional educational staff who are, are driving the improvement from the centre. Uh, and uh, what we've recently done is we've reconfigured that so that we're delegating more back to schools because head teachers didn't feel like that they had enough uh, ability to vary things according to their local context and, and, and what worked for them. And we are also in the process now of thinking about our ambassador role and whether or not we give some more responsibility to them and whether or not we recruit um, ambassadors or parents uh, onto the main trust board. Yeah, The fundamental problem uh, with not having local governing bodies is, you know, in, in our case we've got eight or nine trustees uh, and and 28 schools, our ability, as, well, in COVID it was impossible, but our ability to get round and understand the local context of all mm. of those schools is, it's really hard. Uh, uh, so we're reliant on these parent representatives, mostly stakeholder representatives, ambassadors, to provide us with that direct intelligence as to what's going on, because otherwise we're reliant on our executive level and our regional level to provide all of the governance which at times feels a bit too much like they're marking their own homework and that's not that's not good governance practice so uh, I don't think we're going to move back to local governing bodies uh, in the technical term but I think we will the tide is, is sort of flowing back towards giving some more responsibility um, and more agency over people on the ground um, and but that, I, as I say, I think that will be something that will be constantly in in negotiation, uh, mat by mat. Sure. Um, and you talked a little bit about um, rationalisation of the of the current system earlier. And I know if if you look out there, the average size of a mat is sort of six or seven schools, and that's a mean average. You know, the modal average is more about two or three. So there's a lot of very small mats out there. What do you think the best way is to go about mat growth through acquisition, mergers, role of regional directors? Um, there's, there's quite a lot of issues involved there. There are, and you know the the regional directors that used to be called regional schools commissioners, they they for a while were active in brokering, moving a school or a small mat into a or a SAT, or a federation, or a foundation, or whatever. Yeah, we've got all this <laughs> multiplicity of different types of uh, structures, um, and moving them into uh, a mat that they perceive to be the right one for the job. Um, now, again, that the tide has flown away from that, and it hasn't quite gone back to beauty parades, where a school is going, yes, we are now ready to join a mat, and we'll sort of 
let it be known that we're interested in a bunch of mats coming and presenting to us and showing us how, how brilliant and beautiful it's going to be to join their happy family. Um, now, the reality at the moment is this sort of slightly uncomfortable halfway house where nobody's quite sure um, how this works and you sort of let it be known, as, as we have at EACT, that where we already have academies we are interested in some growth uh, in order to consolidate in those geographies and so we therefore are getting some inbound inquiries sometimes from local authorities actually saying we're really worried about this okay. and that school in our patch and we think you are the ideal uh, mat to take it over uh, can can you have a conversation so some of the local authorities are starting to do some of that brokering too which mm. is interesting um, but uh, my general sense is that um, whilst the autumn statement has bought us a bit more time in terms of financial crisis, um, the pressures on the budget in respect of energy and pay will mean that the viability of these tiny little mats is just, especially in primary, is going to become hugely questionable and they will then start to knock on the door or will be receptive to a mat knocking on their door and going, yeah, actually, maybe the time is now right for us to move in uh, to this organisation. And there, I think, the organisations themselves, the mats themselves, need to be quite imaginative about things. And this depends on how centralised they are as a machine and how much they believe in a certain amount of local autonomy but if, they, if they're of the latter mindset which is the one I would encourage um, then I think there are opportunities around some innovation around structure so uh, you know, could we have a you know, let's say a federation wanted to join so if you've got this idea of you know the Blossom Hill Federation within the mat that could carry on forever as part of a group structure to a mat that might have a few of those or ultimately there might be decisions that, that come along which says they uh, are brought in to the wider umbrella it might be that you get some mats that become too large and they've built up through growth a really strong regional presence in a place and they go actually we've got a really viable mat in its own right in that region, let's float that one free uh, with its own governance uh, and allow a little bit more of that innovation and fluidity uh, rather than these being empires with emperors at the top of them, uh, which, <laughs> you know, to some of the critics is, is how it might feel at the moment. Yeah, so, so there's no playbook for this, is there? Um, it, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of feeling from you that there's no, there's no right model, um, and it's very context dependent, um, and we sort of need to let this play out a little bit to to see what works and what doesn't work. Is that absolutely? Yeah, schools and education are bedeviled by the quest for the silver bullet, and mm. uh, in the same way that there's not a silver bullet piece of pedagogy, piece of technology, textbook. Uh, curriculum materials platform that answers everyone's problems there isn't going to be a legal structure that answers everyone's problems and we need to keep things 
sufficiently flexible and just be clear about what matters in terms of accountability, what matters in terms of good governance, uh, what funding is being received in exchange for, and then be pretty flexible once we've, we've been clear about the basics. Okay. Um, and we talked previously um, in another session about um, value exchange schools and the trust. Mm. Could you could you just um, just pick up on that for, for a second in terms of it's a mutual benefit, isn't it, of, of, of joining the trust and, and, and how that well, should work? Certainly that is my view, that for a, a strong trust to be a healthy trust, the mat centrally needs to be adding value locally but having that school within the trust is adding value to the mat uh, uh, in its entirety uh, so th- that means it's not about the center being the master and all of these slaves um, in schools uh, following a centralized model and doing as they're told um, I think it means the centre serving the satellites in the schools um, and providing centralised services, if you like, that are are genuinely valuable. Now, that might be leadership support, it might be CPD, it might be involvement in initial teacher training and being able to generate the next... uh, wave of teachers that that are recruited it'll be those estate functions um right now it'll be working out really good prices with energy um, (laughs) suppliers and and uh, resolving the energy efficiency schemes it'll be consistency around how uh, it systems and data systems work so that the center is able to get a consistent picture from each one of the schools but equally the heads and the other leaders when they're having conversations with each other are comparing like with like in terms of what's going on in on the on the data side as well as on the human side uh, and 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 if you can get some and, and all of those things right as a mat then i think you're probably going to be adding significant value to the school level the school adding value back is about yes though the staff at those schools being able and willing to have that professional dialogue, um, support each other on a subject basis, on a year group basis, on a circumstance basis. You know, we, we've got school, for example, in, in in Brent with a huge number of EAL, you know, uh, 95% plus uh, English as an additional language, uh, children, um, Afghan refugees, um, Somalis, Syrians, you know, huge throughput. You know, the expertise that the staff and the leadership in that school have in dealing with these displaced families is something that we can benefit from uh, across the system. Just as an example, and, and there'll be others with individual circumstances that means that they've developed expertise. There might be an SEND, whatever, where we can have that exchange and the fact that they are in the trust is adding value to the rest of the schools uh, in the trust um, and and then you, you do create a happy family that other people will want to join yeah okay um, and I deliberately left this till last 
um, and, and didn't ask it, <laughs> possibly should have been more naturally um, asked. Um, if we bring this back round to, to academization, full academization, fully trust-led system by 2030, let's say we hit 2030 and you know we've, we've, we've gone part of the way, should we be compelling schools to academize and join trusts at that point? Um, I think we will reach that point where it is no longer viable to have these residual schools. You know, I happen to be strongly opposed to grammar schools and selection, and I, I really regret that that job was never finished. Um, and I, I quite like middle schools, but yeah, we crossed that tipping point a long time ago. But we still have middle schools in some areas. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we've we've kind of you can you can argue that it works in those places, so why disrupt it? But it makes it a devilishly complicated system to uh, oversee and to support when you've got middle school areas, you've got grammar school areas, you've got. Uh, different sorts of faith schools you've got some sat some mats some federation some foundation mm. it, it's a bit of a mess and uh, I'd like to get away from all of these blooming structure debates and be able to focus much more on teaching and learning and uh, children having better more successful childhoods and and, and being and knowing that there are adults in their lives that really love them and make them feel safe and secure so they can get on with thriving and learning so that they can then become thriving adults and great parents and great leaders of the nation who can sort out the blooming mess that my generation have left them with. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a wonderful point to end on, um, Jim. So thank you very much for your time today. For the latest updates and links to future episodes, please check out our social media channels.